Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 6 of the Fun Engagement Pod. A lot of people talk about fun engagement, but rarely do you find that they actually talk about it with the people that it's there for, the fans. This episode features three of the most impressive fan organisations and the people in charge of them that I ever worked with in my previous career with Supporters Direct. They are Cat Law from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, Dan Crawford from the Fulham Supporters Trust, and Jay McKenna, who used to be the chair of the Liverpool Supporters Trust, Spirit of Shankly. This was a great discussion with a group of people who really know their stuff and have immense experience and a great deal of wisdom gained from years of dealing with the decision makers at club, league and in the case of CAT, FA Level 2. This is another episode that's split into two parts and this is part one. I've got with me, um, Jay McKenna, who's the former chair of Spirit Shank. I've got Dan Crawford. Dan, what's your role at the Fulham Supporters Trust? Remind I'm me. Commu- I'm the communications director at the Fulham Supporters Trust. Unbelievable. Excellent. Thank you very much. And then I've got Cat Law. And Cat holds two roles. I mean, for the, uh, the really for the purposes of this, I suppose it's more to do with her role on the board of the Spurs Trust. But also, um, she's involved, you are, um, am I right, Kat, still in the Football Supporters Association. You used to be on the FA Council via your old role in uh, on the English Council of Supporters, the former Supporters Direct, which was merged with the FSF to create the FSA, um, now the national body in England and Wales to represent fans. Um, now, yeah, the correct. bit that... Yeah. That's correct. Thank you very much, Kat. That was the right answer. Uh, the bit that... The bit that <laughs> The bit that a lot of people won't perhaps realise is that all three of you in some form have had very close and maintained in the case of Cat and Dan, very close relations on the part of your organisations with the boards of your football clubs, <coughs> with the people actually running them uh, and overseeing them. Now that, uh, in the case of Jay, is slightly different because they don't have that kind of representation that Fulham and the Spur- and Spurs Trust have um, with their football clubs. But nonetheless, there's been a very close relationship between at times between Rita Shankly and um, those running Liverpool Football Club, although also there's been some very difficult periods of time, which I know also probably applies to um, Spurs and Fulham. But obviously, because there's never been a board relationship in there, it makes it slightly different to the dynamics. But what I'd like to ask you all is if you could just give me a few um, thoughts, a few sort of... uh, 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 just tell me what it's like having a relationship with your football club in that way, because it's not easy to maintain, um, if you want to call it that, a professional relationship in those circumstances because of who you're meeting with. So, Kat, tell me what it's like having that and, and carrying that burden of representing the number of people that you represent and not just your members, but 
you know, all the other Spurs fans, not just in England, all over the world, uh, uh, from, from, my, from my memory. Yeah, look, for a start, we put ourselves forward for this. We stand for election every single year. So we are aware of what we're doing. We're sticking our heads above the parapet, as it were. So uh, let's all feel sorry for us. Uh, we put ourselves forward because all of us believe in our hearts that fans' voices should be heard at the top levels of our football clubs. Uh, I think when you're talking of clubs the size of certainly Liverpool, it's highly unlikely that a trust is ever going to get the money together to buy that club and own that club. So certainly at Tottenham, what we're about is supporter representation at board level. So ideally, our panacea would be, let's say, for example, a fan director on the board. So I don't want people to feel sorry for us. Yes, it is a great responsibility, but we're here because we were driven by an ethos and we believe um, very greatly in, in what we're doing. Uh, and and that, that's why we're there. Obviously, uh, we also represent strictly our members. We're a membership organisation. Uh, it's impossible to represent the view of every single Tottenham fan. Uh, there are as, as many fans as I've had hot dinners and I've had a lot of hot dinners, as many views as, as I've had hot dinners. So, um, yeah, we, we mainly represent our members. When you're going into a meeting with the board of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, there are no allowances there for the fact that we are volunteers who do other things in our day job. I work in marketing communications, for example. So I would find it incredibly difficult to sit down uh, with a, uh, a master of the dark art of finance, such as Daniel Levy, and try and quiz him on what he's done with his mezzanine financing for the new stadium development. So part of what we do as a board is we look for skill sets to fill other positions across that, that, that board of trust directors to make sure that we have a finance expert who can go in there and have that conversation on a credible level with the board director at Tottenham Hotspur. And for example, I'll quiz them on their communications. We'll all have a skill set that we're going there. But it's a lot of hard work. It's an awful lot of research. We need to be absolutely up to speed with everything that the club is doing in terms of fan-facing operations or any touch point where there is an impact and an interaction with fans before we go into that room or you're going to be laughed out of that room. You're there in a very imbalanced relationship. They hold all the power. They can decide when to talk to you. They can decide when to listen and what to act on. But for your part, you need to convince them that you are a credible organization, that you have absolutely got your finger on the pulse of what your membership is feeling and that you fully understand all of their business decisions as well as just the ones that might benefit the fans. So, yeah, it's a tough act but I don't want anyone's sympathy because we do put ourselves forward. And um, obviously we've got thick skins and broad shoulders, uh, but we also uh, are determined to do the best to represent our members, if that helps. No, that's lovely. Dan, give me something. Tell me, how is it for you? Um, it's, I, think Kat, I think Kat's experience is, is similar to mine, although I kind of fell into this role of... Um, liaison with the football club because we, at the start of my my time involved with the with the trust we weren't doing that um and so i have a perspective in terms of trying to gain that relationship with the chief executive with representatives of the football club and then trying to turn that relationship into something that's valuable um and something that rep that that represents uh, meaningful communication. So, so there are two. There are two parts to that. One is 
making sure you're trying to get the right people in the room to have a discussion, which I know from, from speaking to both Kat and Jay and other colleagues in the supporters movement in the past, it's, it's really difficult to make sure that you're um, A, posing the right questions, and if you're doing all of that research and that hard work that, that Kat is talking about, making sure that your questions are going to be answered by the right people rather than, than them just giving you lip service. So you'll, and you also have to make sure that the dialogue lasts. So that means that when you do have a, a, a disagreement, which we do frequently on any number of issues, which I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll come to, it's about making sure that you're still in a position to be able to, to have a meeting next time, that you don't blow all the doors off. Um, so there's an art of diplomacy and, uh, and negotiation in there um, that's really important. And then you also have to impress upon your um, the people that you're meeting that uh, you are independent and you can't simply cheerlead um, for an ownership or, or, or for your football club because a lot of people still believe that you know supporters organisations are essentially um, supporters clubs of old and you know we want we we will simply cheerlead. Um, for the football club. So there, there's a balancing act there. And in a situation where you've essentially, and I think Jay is probably best place to talk about this, but where you've essentially come from being a protest movement um, against your ownership, which is the, the situation that, that, that we were in initially, um, protesting against Fulham's um, decision to leave Craven Cottage, to, to reinvent yourself or position yourself again as a as a conduit and somebody who can be a partner um, with the football club, it takes a bit of flexibility. Your membership also has to be understanding of the fact that um, you're on a journey as, mu as much as the football club is. Uh, and you also have to sort of take a step back at times and recognize that yes, it might be frustrating that they haven't given you the answer in the detail that you want, but you're, you're making progress towards an end goal. And, you know, we've made some progress, but we're, we're incredibly frustrated um, in other ways. And we just have to try and keep building that dialogue. But certainly in terms of uh, what Kat says, you know, we're, we're also all volunteers. And there was a point at which, from my trust, like a lot of trusts, it was a small group of volunteers, you know, two or three people who were keeping the organisation going for a long, long time. Um, now we're slightly bigger, we can focus in terms of um, who is the right person to go to which particular meeting and which questions you pose in the, safe in the knowledge that there will be another opportunity to, um, to engage. But, you know, making those initial steps and getting the tone right for that, for that dialogue is, is really important. And I think we lucked onto it to begin with rather than... Um, I, I wish I could tell you there was some masterful plan behind it because I, there really wasn't. <laughs> Jay, um, I, someone said to me, remarked to me the other day that um, if you, uh, in, in the case of an activist, if you've got an, interesting some, in, an interest in something like being a fan um, of a football club, um, that, that there is no such thing as being an outsider. You can't be an outsider because you have such a clear interest. That's kind of a bit different for you in um, early on in Spirit of Shankly because obviously you were formed um, around the time of the two, the two uh, uh, Hicks and Gillette, and obviously the, the disastrous ownership under them. Um, 
but then you started to have a much more developed relationship with the football club. But then that fell apart somewhat in 2016, didn't it? About February time when you did the walkout, when there was a walkout on 77. So how do you manage to maintain what is in many senses a similar to relationship to the ones that Fulham Trust and Spurs Trust try to maintain with their clubs? But also, at times, if I can put it this way, kind of have to bear, feel you have to bear your teeth almost, yeah. um, because I'm I'm sh- I'm absolutely sure that it's not something you like doing, but it's or liked doing. It's something you felt you had to do. So, could you re- just reflect on that for us? Yeah, it, it's interesting you say there about the, the bearing your teeth because early on, so we we started in 2008. I always used to say there's there's almost a bit of a bark and a bite. With, with us, we, we'd have to do the, the bark and, and, and speak to Liverpool and shout about things. And then sometimes they wouldn't be listening and, you know, you'd have to have the mass mobilisations of supporters that we had around the protests of ownership. And then that, that that's almost been our, our way of operating. And then when we see that with the ticket price journey, you know, we shouted and told them what was wrong with ticket prices. They didn't listen. There's the walkout, which is the, the physical manifestation of that, the bike. But... It, it's strange, and I, and I think this is one of. The, I always think this when you when this comes to actually when we're in the room. I don't think supporters and supporting groups, not just because I've done it, but because I've seen the likes of the work that Kat and Dan and others do, get enough credit for what they do in the room. And I don't think we are appreciated by our own clubs that we're actually trying to engage with them even though they might not feel it's positive. You know, I always used to say to Liverpool, you know, if if you think I'm angry, you think I'm being unreasonable, go and speak to the people on the car, see what they tell you. It's much better that you do this with me. Um, and, and I don't think they appreciate that because it's almost like a bubble for them. This is their job. They they know the people in these networks. They've always done these kinds of jobs and, and they know lots of information and they, they would tell us Forever, you know, we've all seen this when we've been to meetings at the Premier League, for example, how hard it is to do things. And I say, well, how hard do you think it is for a supporter who now has to be aware of not just what happens on the pitch, but what happens off it? And even if you didn't want to be, it is now, it is the news around football. It isn't just the players, it's the debt and the financing and the transfer fees. It's all of that is the, is the story of football now. It's woven into what it is about, whether we like it or not. So we, we come to them to talk to them about these things. And I I think for them on the other side of the table, it's almost like, oh, what do these want to get? What do these want to get? And, it's, and I think that's what actually leads them to make mistakes. I think it's what leads them to underestimate us, but it's also what leads them to down the path of you know, problems like ticket prices or ownership or when they're going to sell tickets or when season ticket deadlines might be. Because instead of thinking, hang on, these might help us, that they, they're... Their barriers are instantly up, and I, you know I'm sure that is the same for others. For us, it, it, it's been a journey, as Dan says. Uh, you know, we we started as a protest, but had some engagement with some of the board of the club. Um, but what they seemingly did want was nod and dog. So they'd have this engagement with us. We'd say something about what they'd say, and they'd be like, "Oh well, you know, we, we didn't like it. We didn't want it out there publicly." It was like, "Well, do you think we were just going to sit and tell you how great you are just because you you know you've got a well-paid job at Liverpool?" We famously fell out with the managing director at the time, but you know it was all about the protest. Then, from say 2010 
to certainly 14, 15, I think we probably, we had some relationships towards the end of that period at the club, but we were in a bit of a, a strange period where we were like, what are we about? What are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do some of this? Fans want us to be angry at more stuff, but there was no widespread anger to this. We knew there were questions to be asked at the club, but everyone's just come through a war, so they're almost like, you know, now it's time for peace. Um, and then, then the ticket price stuff starts, and we start having this relationship, and we, you know, we, we went in open-handed. We showed them our strength with, the, with some protests to sort of say, you need to engage with us on ticket prices. And I and, and there's been a mood shift, if you remember, lots of pundits would all say what me and Kat and Dan and everyone had been saying for a long time, that ticket prices were too high. And our message gets through, we start having these meetings with the Premier League. And we actually sat down with the club, and for about the 13 months where we had ticket price discussions with them, I genuinely thought we were in a better place. I thought we were having proper grown-up conversations, we were sharing data, we were challenging our own thinking, their thinking. You know, I have a, greatest, a greater appreciation of the job our ticket manager does at Liverpool now because we sat down and actually engaged properly. And then, then we have to walk out because they don't listen and don't do that quite fully like they should. Uh, because that attitude of well, why do we need to engage with these, we don't need to listen to them, um, comes to the fore again. And we have to rebuild that. And, you know, you have to walk out. And I think the club, what's interesting, I, I think, post the walkout was Liverpool came to us. We didn't have to bend and go to them and take them on a journey. I think they went on a bit of a journey internally. Um, and we almost, they, they, they bent to us. And I think they've bent to us in a way now that there's a mutual benefit to this for supporters and the club, which, you know, we've seen on and off the pitch, I think, in the last couple of seasons. OK, in the case of, um, in the case of Kat and Dan, that has never, in my, I'm trying to dredge my memory, which is pretty decent on these things, but I don't recall any um, particular period in the, in the sort of modern era, and by that I mean for people listening, um, the modern type of fan organisation, the supporters trust type of organisation has an interest in the way the club is run and wants representation at board level at the very least as a, as a sort of way of representing fans. I don't recall any point um, since the foundation, at least of Fulham, and in any period that I know of, of the Spurs Trust where the relationship has been on off and sort of, I don't want to call it antagonistic, but it's been difficult in that way, quite in that way. That you that that you've had to that you've had to use that level of activism um, because the club are refusing to, uh, to to deal with a particular issue. Uh, you know, do you know? Do you understand what I mean? The sort of the, what people I think perceive when you say activism is people on the streets with placards, and I haven't seen so much of that from the two of you, but I've seen obviously we've seen it with Liverpool. I mean, take your ter- take turns. Obviously, you can't both speak at once. But why is that? A is that right? Is my memory failing me? Or and if and if it isn't failing me, and I am right, why is that? Why is it that? Is it to do with the age of the organisations? Is it to do with the way your clubs are run? Are they particularly? Is it just not like that? Are the dynamics within the fan base different? Because you know, I don't think everyone understands that the dynamics of different clubs can be very different, even though there are lots of common threads. Dan, Dan, yeah, Cat. Um, okay, I mean, the Spurs Trust was established in 2001 and, and I became involved in 2013. 
so I can only really speak from from my duration and involvement, which is over the past seven years. Certainly, I'd say that we have a very distinct membership demographic. And I think the expectations of our members, so one of their reasons for joining the trust is because they do believe in that amplification of fan voice and they believe in having representation at board level, but they also firmly believe it's better to be in the room, having the conversations and standing outside, shouting at the window or kicking the door. I think that as a whole, I'm always very cautious about making sweeping generalizations. But we don't have perhaps um, such a demographic at Tottenham who would be as willing to, let's say, walk out of a match than, than maybe you would in a city such as Liverpool. And, and that's, you know, I'm not making a political judgment there either way, but I, I think I've struggled with activating and trying to um, encourage fans to really speak out for things that matter. I think apathy is often your greatest enemy. And there's one small example that I'll use here, which is earlier in this lockdown period when Tottenham chose to use the, the government coronavirus job retention scheme, the furlough scheme. And uh, I've never quite seen a reaction from our fan base like it. I mean, our inbox was overflowing. We're being contacted, as you'd expect, by the media, but by our members, by just absolutely thousands upon thousands of first fans who aren't trust members. And every time the, tr the club posted anything on social media, every single re response, if you looked at the threading, was like, hashtag pay your staff. Hashtag pay your staff. Hashtag pay your staff. It was everywhere. And that made it really easy for us to leverage that and get them exactly where we wanted. Because when you've got a mass movement here, so a tactical level, and then you've got the trust going in at a strategic level and having that conversation in the room, that is a marriage made in heaven. And I think that if our fan base had mobilised more about our ticket pricing, for example, we may well have had more of an impact. So there is, there is a marriage there. I think that the, the Spurs trust approach is always one. Um, we always try and be collegiate. We always try and be fair and transparent and pragmatic. So we're not likely to, you know, bang our fists and throw our toys out of the pram. We believe in maintaining that dialogue, but we are by no means mugs. And there have been plenty of times over the past seven years where we've had genuine flashpoints because whatever... Oh, look, we always have the best interest of the fans at heart and the directors will always have the best interest of the club at heart and the two aren't always aligned. And so, yes, there have been more than a handful of occasions where we have had extremely cross words. But because we started off you know, mentioning networks and because we've made it our business to engage across a network of people within that club, so it's departmental heads, it's support liaison officers, all of the safety team, it's all of the stewards, it's several people at board level. If they're angry with us about one policy or one position or one point, they can't cut off communication because there's so much else that's going on at the same time around it. It's a proper working relationship, does that make sense? So yes, to, an to answer your question, there hasn't been a time when, I mean, Jay may well remember, uh, Liverpool and, and Tottenham, Spirit Shankly and the Spurs Trust, we did a joint ticket pricing protest. It was actually AVB's last game when Liverpool annihilated us at White Hart Lane. 
and uh, the, the, quite a few of the Liverpool fans stayed behind afterwards to do like a, a joint banner across the divide thing. And I think we had about five Spurs fans. That was it. So that, that was the <laughs> level of activity going on there. But look, we, we tried. We tried. So there you go. Hope that Dan. No, thanks, Kat. That's great. Dan, you're, you're, you've, you've, you've been, as a group, you've been in the boardroom for quite a long time, having meetings regularly with Alistair McIntosh and co. Um, so yeah, same same to you then. What what's what what is what's the secret to to what you're doing, and do you manage to avoid um, the kind of activism that we're talking about there, or is it something that you have used a bit every so often? So I think it's a balance um, with regards to when you try to negotiate and discuss, and when you judge that a bit of um, more direct action or activism um, is necessary. So, you know, certainly at the beginning, ju just for background for people, for people who won't know. So our trust was formed from the back to the cottage movement, which I referenced um, earlier on in 2002, three. Um, and we went for a long period of time without any real engagement with the, with the club at all. So, so we got our, our dialogue going in about 2013, 2014. And I've been around the, the trust committees and, and the board for most of that time. Um, what I would say is in the early years when we didn't have the sort of dialogue that, that we have now, we absolutely um, used, our, used our activism in, in, in many ways. First of all, to, to make sure the club returned to, to the ground, which you know, was by no means a, a sure thing um, at, at the very beginning. And that's probably the best, the most classical example of activism. You had supporters staying away from, from Loftus Road um, to ensure that uh, the club returned home. Fans refusing to pay for, for season tickets unless there was a proviso that the money would go to um, to return. But then even in the period where we've had good relations, there have always been times where we would take a different view. So Fulham um, breached financial fair play in the very early uh, part of financial fair, fair play in the very early period. Um, and tried to tell us during the meetings that everything was fine and that they wouldn't. Uh, face a transfer embargo for um, breaching financial fair play. So we, we, we had to deal with that. And we had our own um, ticket pricing problem because the last time Fulham were never so successfully in the Premier League, um, the club decided that they were going to hike up prices to a level that certainly Fulham have, have, have never seen before. Um, and that caused real problems um, within the fan base. And, and, you know, I think the club, had to reflect on how they how they handled that and also um, how we pressed the case for, for better um, match day pricing and, and season ticket pricing. So, look, it's a carrot and stick approach. What I would say is our activism hasn't always been focused at the, at the football club. There are other circumstances. You know, in the very early days, we had to get very political overtly in terms of lobbying the local council, and getting politicians themselves on side to support a campaign. And until, so the club is now currently building um, a new Riverside stand to essentially um, confirm our long-term future at the ground. 
but that's where that's really where most of our membership and supporters come from that totemic issue of making sure that Fulham remains Fulham really to to most supporters that's what people think about first of all when they, when they talk about their football club Frank if I can be frank about it that's because for most of the time we've not been very good and there hasn't been anything else to, to really excite the fan base um, but you know we had to be very political in, in those in those early times um, and we've had to be quite smart about how we activate those relationships as and when they're needed because at times you want to have confidential discussions and it's, there are times when you want to go public and that's about judging the move um, so yeah we haven't had the sort of mass activism of other trust, trusts but you know we've been fortunate in that the club has been relatively stable over a long period of time, which is, uh, which is something that's, you know, unknown in Fulham's history. Really, there's always been a crisis in, in engulfing the club, and that's where most of our organisations get their activism from. So, juggling that in terms of keeping your membership on side and growing your membership at a time when there aren't those flashpoint issues is something that that all trusts will recognise uh, as being a really, really difficult balancing act.